again this morning talking to you about the whole subject of Transformers. Now before there was ever a movie made about Transformers, God was in the transforming business. He told the disciples in the book of Matthew, he said, go into all the world and transform people. Now I know he said go and make disciples, but let me tell you, when you make disciples, you transform people. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about transformers making a lasting difference. Now, I want to tell you something. You were created for more than just working 40 or 50 hours a week. You were created with a divine destiny down inside of you. You have divine DNA in you. The Bible says that you were created and you were made in the image and in the likeness of God. That means that there is divine DNA inside of you. And so how many of you know that God is a creator? And so that God is a creator, then he has given us the ability to bring transformation uh, into the world. So I want you to take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of Matthew, the ninth chapter. And as you're getting there uh, to the book of Matthew, let me welcome the campuses this morning. And we are asking God to minister there through his power and through his word today. We're excited about what God is doing in every location that's a love and truth church. And we're just glad today to be able to preach the word of God there as well as here. The book of Matthew, the ninth chapter, uh, beginning in verse 35, says this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, get that, and healing every. Would you say that word with me? Every. Would you underline, if your Bible is not too holy, would you underline that word every sickness, and then it says an every disease he didn't bypass any of them so when somebody comes along and tells you well God doesn't heal that and God doesn't set you free from that just say wait a minute he's the same yesterday today and forever if he ever did it he still is right and so he had every disease among the people but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to talk today on this subject. I want to, I want to speak to you for the next few minutes about the power of compassion. There's something that we need to understand, and that is this, that nothing truly lasting ever happens until someone is deeply moved. 
Let me say that again. Nothing truly lasting ever happens until someone is deeply moved. Until somebody says, wait a minute, it's not going to remain this way any longer. I, I, I need to see a difference. I need to see something happen. A few years ago, there was a lady uh, whose, whose teenage daughter was killed in a car accident, and, and it so devastated her family that she began a movement that literally has changed the laws of our nation because her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. How many of you have ever heard of an organization called MAD? Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. One woman who said, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm going to make a difference. And she has. Listen, let me help you this morning. I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I want to tell you, you are not insignificant. You are not a nobody going nowhere. You are a somebody who the power of God has redeemed, he has saved, and he has placed his love upon you. And when you begin to understand that, you begin to live with a transformative mindset. You begin to say, wait a minute, I am not willing just to kind of go through life and kind of just ease through life, but I am going to do my dead level best to make a difference in this world in which I live. We don't want to look at your tombstone one day and say they lived and they died. Right? I mean, I, I want something on my tombstone, you know, I, not, and not pepperoni pizza. I, I, I want something on my tombstone uh, that, that lets people know that I made a difference with my life. I want you that when we stand, and I hope it's, you know, 75 years before I do this, but I hope when I stand and do your eulogy that I'm able to say this person was transformative. This person made a lasting difference. This person was one who didn't give up. They didn't quit, but they got a hold of what it was that God had for their life. Now, let me, let me tell you something this morning. For us to really make a difference, there has to be some things that change. And here's what I found out about change. Most people don't like it. We don't even like for them to give us change at the drive-thru. Right? We don't like change. I mean, it's just now, I will, I will have to confess, I thrive on change. I love it. I, I wake up in the morning trying to figure out something to make different. That's just the way I'm wired. I'm, I'm different than most of you. I understand that. I, I don't like, I don't even like a service two weeks in a row to run the exact same way. I want them to change. So I say, come on, tweak that thing, move that thing, do something different. Don't, don't leave it the same. I love change. If I, if I have to just move the keyboard from one side to the other, let's get some change going. Let's, let's not. I've said for years, the only person in church that really likes change are the babies in the nursery. Everybody else is kind of resistant to it. Pastor, I, we don't want to change. But, but let me tell you, there are three things this morning I'm going to talk about that we have to change if we really, really want to be people who, who have the power of compassion uh, in our life. The, the 36th verse, would you look there at the 36th verse again real quickly? Uh, Jesus said this in that 36th, or, or the Scripture said this about Jesus. It says he was moved with compassion. See, the, the first thing that's got to change in our lives this morning is there's got to be a change in our emotions. We, we, we've really got to look at the world with compassion. How many of you know that, that a lot of Christians hate the world? I mean, they really do. 
Well, now, Pastor, the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. I can quote it just as good as you. But go, go look up the word world there. It's not talking about people. It's talking about the system. It's talking about the system of the world. It's not talking about the people who Jesus Christ died for. It's not referring to those who Jesus gave his life for. It is talking about the system. Don't love the system of the world is what the Scripture is talking about. See, that word compassion means to feel deep sympathy. I mean, how often do you look at those who are struggling? How often do you look at those who, who are, are bound in addictions and who are living lifestyles that we know that the Word of God is against? But, but how often do we look at them and we kind of sneer at them and, and we, we, we feel nothing? Listen, if there was anybody that day, when Jesus looked at that crowd, remember this, when Jesus looked at them, He saw every sin that they were committing. He was God. He knew their thoughts. He knew the illicit things they had done the night before. And yet the Bible doesn't say he looked at them and he judged them. The Bible says he looked at them and he had compassion upon them. He looked at them and he said, they're like sheep that are scattered. His heart went out to them. See, I believe with all of my soul today that you and I have to have a heart of compassion for the lost. The church has become nothing but a glorified country club in a lot of places. We go to church with people who are like us. We pay dues and call it tithes. We socialize with people who are just like us. We never cross any boundaries. If you are like us, you can come. If you're not like us, please go down the road. And yet the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I want to tell you something you look very much you'll find out that the counseling offices are overflowing with people with all kind of needs in fact most of you if you wanted to get an, uh, into a counselor into a professional counselor if you call them and said I want to be there tomorrow they go no 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 uh, it'll be at least three weeks it'll be at least two months before you can get in I'm booked up that far and yet the church by and large and understand how I say this by and large are still singing about some day we're going to fly away and not realizing that people are living desperate lives clinging by their very fingernails sometimes to the last bit of sanity they have and we walk right by them maybe I'm preaching too deep and we don't give them compassion See, we've got to be willing to change our emotions every time. And, and please bear with me for a moment. But every time I see our news covering, quote, unquote, Christian groups that are standing with picket signs screaming hatred. I don't care what the agenda is. It doesn't matter if it's an abortion clinic. It doesn't matter if it's gay rights. It doesn't, I don't care what the, what the agenda is that we are screaming about. I look at that and I say, that's not godly. Now, you can do with that whatever you want to, and you may need to do something really serious about that. 
But I want to tell you, Jesus is looking at that congregation that day. He's looking at these people that day, and he knows every sin that's going on in there. And instead of him screaming at them, instead of him condemning them, the Word of God says that he looks at them and he has compassion upon them. Our nation's in a mess. But you know what people are looking for? The cry of the soul is for transformation. We have depended so long on the government that we have forgotten that the government is not the solution. Well, hallelujah. We, we've, we've thought the government should be our answer. So the government should be the answer to abortion. The government should be the answer to this. The government should be, no, 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 wait a minute. The church ought to be the answer. See, if I can convince you of righteousness, then you won't do those things. If the church will come to the place of living out the gospel in every aspect that God has called us to, we will literally make a difference in our world. We will transform our society. We will make a difference. We will see revival again. We will see transformation happening again. But it's up to the church to wake up and to say, wait a minute, we're going to change our emotion. Instead of screaming at people, we're going to have compassion on people. Look at verse 37. Here Jesus speaking again says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is great. The harvest is out there. Now, I, I know that a lot of times in Christian circles we talk about nobody wants to be saved, but the Bible says the harvest is plentiful. The problem is not with the harvest. See, here's what's got to change. Number one, we had to change our emotions. Number two is we've got to change our vision. We've got to start looking at something different. A, a, a lot of times all we see are problems. We don't see the harvest. Well, don't you see this problem? Don't you see that? Don't, didn't you hear about the legislation that was passed just recently and, and that overturned? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I heard all that. But you know what? There's a God who is greater than any judge there's a god who is more concerned about his church getting on their knees and seeking him than he is hang on hold up wait a minute than he is even in us electing the right person he never says if my people go to the polls i will send revival now i believe you i'm going to get in serious trouble today I believe you ought to vote. But he, what he says is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their, the church, their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and then I will heal their land. Our vision's got to change. We, we, we gotta get a, we've got to get a great vision. Let me, let me give you four ingredients to a great vision. I, I want to tell you, everybody needs to have a great vision in their life. Your vision won't be the same as somebody else's, but everybody needs an overriding vision of life. If your vision is just, well, all right, my vision is to have a bigger house. Well, you'll get that, but you'll just get a bigger payment with it. 
Well, I want to, you know, I want to have a Rolls Royce and a Bentley. Well, have them, baby, but, they, you know, you, you're going to be, you know, the payments come, whatever. All, all that stuff uh, that you look at, there, there's something better. I, I, listen, I don't, I don't mind you having everything. Have, you know, be blessed physically, financially, spiritually in every arena of your life. But understand, your vision has to make a lasting difference. Four things. Number one is passion. Every great vision provides passion. Vision evokes an emotion. You get around somebody who has a true vision, they're passionate about it. You get around somebody uh, who, who likes to minister to the downtrodden, they're going to talk about it. You get around somebody uh, who has a heart uh, for, for teenage girls who are unwed and pregnant, they're going to talk about how they're, I mean, it, it is going to, why? Because there's a passion that comes along with a vision. I have often threatened to wire the seats in the auditorium with 220 electricity and just to be able to periodically pick out somebody and hit them <laughs> with a good joke just to see if there's any emotion in them. It's like, do you, are you passionate about anything? I mean, come on. Listen, it, it's, it's passion that brings that uh, in your life. The, the second thing about a great vision is that it provides motivation. Vision provides the incentive to your life. It's why you do what you do. It's why you get up and do it. it it's, it's why the person will go through 12 years of, of school and then they'll go through four years of college. Then they'll add on four more years of college. Then they'll add a couple of years on top of that to get their PhD, to get their what? Why are they doing this? Because they have a vision. And that vision motivates them to do the work that nobody else wants to do, but they have a vision for what it is they want out of life. Listen, if you would get a vision for your life, it will take you somewhere. It will provide some incentive for your life and move you. The third thing that vision brings is vision brings direction. Vision sets the course for your life. This church, we have vision. We, we know what our vision is. And so that, that vision helps us to stay on course. And we go back and we look at what the vision is time and time again. And we run everything through the grid of whether or not it fits the vision. And if it does not fit the vision, it is real easy to say no. I was walking out of the office this week, going down the hall. Guy came in the front door. I didn't know who he was or what he wanted. And he looked at me and he said, um, do you work here? And I said, yeah. which I do, and uh, he said, well, I'm so-and-so, and I'm looking for the pastor, and then I had to fess up who I was. I said, well, you're talking to him. He kind of looked astounded because I was about like this, maybe a little worse, and uh, nice guy, very, very nice gentleman, and, and he said, uh, he said, I, I, uh, he said, I, I, produce and, and book groups for churches. He said, I, I would love to bring a southern gospel group to your church. It was real easy. I love you, God bless you, but we're not interested. We're not a concert church. That's not, that's not what we're built on. That's not who we are. Now, if some other churches want to do that, if that's their vision, God bless them. Let's do it. But I, I did concerts years ago and found out, you know who shows up at concerts? Christians. 
And, and I, I decided I was, I was fishing, you know, I was just swapping saints doing that. And, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't taking the kingdom of God further. And so I just said, hey, you know what? I, I know what we're called to do in Jackson. And, and, and gospel concerts really don't fit in that. And so, wow, why are you mad at me now? It's not who we are. It's not what we're going to do. There's plenty of other places, plenty of other venues that will do that. But it's, it's not. And so it's easy. See, a vision gives you direction. It gives you a course. The, the reason some people, and I don't want to get in your business, but the reason that some people live life so aimlessly is because they don't have a vision because the vision sets your course for life the fourth thing about vision is this is vision gives you a purpose for living i mean it's it's that thing that moves you it's that thing that that it, it's that internal dynamo that just keeps you going it is it, it is you know it's rick warren's life on purpose it, it's that whole thing of living life I, I have a purpose for life i have a purpose for listen let me give you a purpose for living your purpose for living is not to live and to die and to go to heaven one day your purpose for living is to be a transformer to make a difference in somebody else's life so we've got to change that whole mentality that we have there look in verse 38 he goes on to say therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest the third thing that we've got to do is we've got to change our attitude there's got to be a change in our attitude because again I want to tell you our attitude about the task has got to change we, we so often look at the world and, and, and we, we just exist in this place of, of, of almost hatred of the world instead of understanding God has called us to touch the world. So how do we go about this? How do we live life day in and day out? What is it about my attitude that's got to change about the task that God has called me to do? What, what have I got to do? There, there's a couple of three things we have to do and hear me this morning. The first thing that we've got to do is we've got to prepare for the harvest. How many of you have ever had a newborn baby come home? If, if you knew that baby was coming, now, you know, some of you get called, uh, you know, we, we've had some adoption cases where they got called like two nights before and they had to go out and buy everything in two days, which I can't imagine what that's like. Usually you got about a seven to eight month window of opportunity to prepare and 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 you know what it's like i mean you're 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 changing rooms up you're going out and buying bassinets and you're buying diapers and you're buying all the stuff and and yet what i find so often in churches is is that most of the time we aren't prepared to receive the people that god sends i ask this ever so often i haven't asked it in a while but let me ask it today have you ever been to church No, really. I mean, have, have you ever gone to church and when you left, you wondered why? I mean, they, they talked stuff that didn't make a bit of sense. They used words that you couldn't understand if you'd been sitting there with a dictionary. They begin to talk about the exegesis of the text and the hermeneutical principles that were involved in the ramifications of the hubba bubba bubba. And you just went, I'm sure that was really good, but I don't have a clue what they said. Have you ever talked to a baby? Come on, have you ever talked to a baby? What are you talking about? Hey, baby, how you doing? I mean, you, you, you're, right? 
You're so cute. I mean, why is it that we always raise our voice seven octaves? Oh, this baby's so... Right? Come on. Go, go stand down by the nursery and, and find some parent who knows you. Don't just do it randomly. And, and talk to their kid and, and start talking to them about uh, the cultural ramifications of whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, that kid's going to look at you and, and, you know, probably spit up on you or something. And yet at church, we use words and terminologies, and we, we throw things out to impress Christians instead of what, saying, wait a minute, there's babies in the house. Let's prepare for the babies that the Lord sends to the house. The second thing you've got to do in, in this whole change of attitude is you've got to care that babies are coming. I, I, again, I, I don't want to get in trouble, but I, I think that there's a whole lot of churches in America that they really don't want babies. Now, I'll tell you the thing about babies. Babies are messy. You ever changed a diaper? I don't, I don't want to get in your business, but I didn't change many. Thank the Lord. But I changed enough to know it is not any fun changing babies' diapers. I can remember standing in Target when my daughter was a baby and I was holding her. And all of a sudden, I got this warm sensation. <laughs> I can still tell you what I had on. I had on a navy blue suit. That was in the days that I wore one. And all the way down as I stand in Target in Memphis and I'm looking at that going and I didn't you know I didn't I ain't taking that one home <laughs> throw her out and I sent my suit to the cleaner got her cleaned up and got me cleaned up and went on you know the scripture that I quote a lot but we need to hear it again the Bible says where there are no ox in the stall the stall is clean do I need to explain that to you? Where there are no ox in the stall, the stall is clean. Where there are no babies in the church, church runs pretty carefully, pretty cleanly. But when you get babies, you're going to have some messes. I was standing at the door a few, I don't know, several months back or whatever, and, and I had kind of gotten in everybody's business that day a little bit, and and, and this lady walks out, I don't know, you may be here today. And, and, and she looked at me and shook my hand and she said, Pastor, you really gave them, you know what, today. I won't use the word. And I went, I sure did. <laughs> I mean, it, it took me about that long. I thought, I, I did, that's what I gave them today. I hopefully kept them from going there. It, you know, they... She didn't know that she was supposed to say, I really enjoyed that, Pastor. That was a wonderful <laughs> word from the Lord today. It was just. <laughs> so you have to care. The third thing that you have to do is that you have to reap the harvest. And that reaping needs to be a perpetual reaping. That reaping needs to be something that we're continually going after. Not something that we settle on and say, okay, this is it. And no. That we're believing that Scripture says daily the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. 
that, that, that we're believing that every day people's lives are being changed. I want to tell you, if the church would truly adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, we could make a difference in our world. Now, now I want to tell you, Jesus could get in your face. Jesus, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Jesus, if, if, you were, if Jesus would look at you and say, neither do I condemn thee, but hey, don't sin anymore. Jesus didn't ignore sin, but he took care of sin. And, and so there's this misconception within our society, and that is either you have to be legalistic, mean-spirited, or, hallelujah, everybody's wonderful, we're all going to heaven, well, all roads lead there. No, 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 there's a balance to this. The Word of God says that when you get saved, you'll flee certain things. You won't live certain ways. You won't do certain things when you get saved. But it also says if you sin, you have an advocate. <laughs> Jesus Christ the righteous, whoever liveth to make intercession for you. Now, I'll hurry and I'll close, but, but get this. I have been doing this for over 30 years as a pastor. I have never yet met the perfect saint. Now, I've met a lot of them that thought they were. But if I hung out with them for a little while, I found that there were some issues in their life. So what's God saying to us? I believe with all of my heart, Jesus looking at that crowd that day, he saw all the issues, he saw all the sins, he saw all the habits and all the lifestyles that were destructive, but he saw past that. And he looked at them and he was moved with compassion. You've got to be able to look at that person who you disagree with and you don't agree with how they're living or what they're doing with their life. And you still have to have compassion on them. I could begin to give a list of sins. I can name adultery. I can name drunkenness. I can name homosexuality. I can name covetousness. I can, I can, I can name a thousand sins this morning. And whatever the sin was that I would name this morning, I would leave one out. And you would walk out of here feeling justified in your sin. And yet the word of God says, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the love of God is the only hope for mankind. No exception, no other way we can go down the road. Whatever the scripture list is sins, I've done a lot of them. And whoever just thought they hadn't, you just did. Number one, you're in pride. Number two, you're a liar. And yet, God looks at this house and he looks at these ministries today 
And he sees all the issues and all the stuff and all the problems and all the lifestyle things and all. And he says, I still love you. I want you to change. I want you to get it right. But I love you. Here's what the Bible says, and I close. The scripture says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what God speaks to us today, and that's how He calls us to live to live with compassion as people who say, You know what? Truly the harvest is great. Lord, we pray that you'll send forth laborers into the harvest field. Thank you for tuning in today. Please join Pastor Couples next week for another message designed to help you successfully live the Spirit-empowered life. Please log on to our website at www.loveandtruthchurch.com or visit us in person on Oilwell Road in Jackson. And remember, God wants you to lead a spirit-empowered life.